Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 57. My special guest is Rebecca Eichenberger. Hello and welcome to Broadway's Backbone. I'm sitting here with Rebecca Eichenberger. How are you doing today? Oh, great, how are you? I'm fantastic. I love you. Uh, I just think you're such a cool chick. I know that sounds funny to say. Oh, thanks. Because uh, we never worked together, but we've hung out oh. socially. We've gone two-stepping together. We've gone two-stepping together. That was fun. <laughs> I was looking at interesting people that I thought to interview, and I was like, she would, I don't know a lot about you, and so mm-hmm. I decided this is a good way to do it. Absolutely. So I will read uh, your major credits. You were in Phantom of the Opera, Grand Night for Singing, Carousel, 1776, Frogs, Evita, and American in Paris. Those were your ensemble or your understudy jobs or Mm -hmm. standby jobs. Mm -hmm. And then you also had a lovely role in Dessa Rose, Mm -hmm. and you played mother on the national tour of Ragtime. Yeah. How are you? Where are you from, and how did you get started? I'm good. Uh, Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Talking to me. I'm I'm amazed that anyone would be interested in my story, so here we go. (laughs) Um, I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado. My family is a musical family. Mm. My father and, and mother and brothers all sang. My dad was a choral director, so we always always sang. And I did my first show when I was, I think, 10. I did The Sound of Music, mm. and then I did it professionally at uh, a dinner theater. And I would seek out the auditions. I did not have a stage mother. She was not interested in being a stage mother. But I looked in the paper, and I found the auditions. Yeah, you it's, couldn't go on Google. No, no. And I really wanted to do it. And then I did theater in high school, but I did community theater all through, you know, junior high and high school as well. And then went away to University of Southern California as a music major because my parents started me on in voice lessons when Trojan? I was 16. I was a Trojan. I'm a yes. Trojan. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. I had no idea. Yes. Yeah. Small. I went to Southern California and I don't know if that was necessarily the best choice for me because just LA you know I mean it was just kind of a it was a great place to go to school but it wasn't necessarily theater oriented you know what I mean and I was a music major but I kept sneaking off to the drama department because the people were more fun (laughs) (laughs) so finally my voice teacher there said you know there's a musical theater workshop that I think you might be interested in at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. It was run by Paul Gleason, who was Joanna Gleason's husband. Oh. And he ran this musical theater workshop, and it was kind of the first time that I I figured out where I was in the scheme of things, just in terms of could I actually work in this business yeah. or not. You know, you don't know. You're the star of your high school productions, but that doesn't mean anything, really. Yeah. So we did a kind of a, a, a presentation at the end, and then he set up auditions for us for Sacramento Music Circus. And that's how I got my first professional job was Sacramento Music Circus. And uh, they gave me my equity card. I love that. I auditioned the whole time I lived in San Diego and L.A. for Sacramento, and I didn't finally book a job there until two years ago. Oh, that's funny. And I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it's in a wonderful place. And who it was is. the artistic director there, Leland? Leland Ball. Yes. yes. I look at him as like my my grandfather in the business, you know. Oh, he was great. 
So how'd you go from Sacramento getting your equity card to moving to New York and Broadway? Well, I lived in LA for 10 years uh, from the time that I moved there to go to college. And I did lots of regional theater there, actually, and uh, was a singing waitress on the side. And then I came to New York to audition for The Phantom of the Opera, because it had just opened on Broadway and they were opening up an LA company. So I went and auditioned. And I got it. And I remember calling my mother from Times Square on a payphone and telling her that I got it. And uh, even though it wasn't New York, it was still, you know, a, yeah. a big show. Although I had done Cats as well. I did get Cats in LA as well. So I did a lot of, like the last six months or nine months of Cats. So that was my first big, yes. big show. And then did the LA production of Phantom and then they transferred me. They, they had a, a Broadway opening. So I came to New York with a job. Wow. Well, yeah. I remember when Phantom was there. It was a big deal. And oh, yeah. It was Michael Crawford. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember, I feel like I, you could see the theater off of the freeway. And yeah. everyone was like, big deal that Phantom of the Opera was in California. Oh, I remember yeah. that whole time. Yeah. And I didn't see it until I came here, even though it was there the whole time. How long were you in the Broadway company? Well, let's see. I came in 1990, and that's where I met my husband. He was a stagehand. He drove the boat. Really? Yeah. So I met him, we fell in love, got married, and I got pregnant with my first child in that went during those years. So I left, I came in 1990, and I must have left in about 92, the end of 92, because he was born in April of 93. Oh, okay. And did you go back after that? Was there a maternity, was there equity maternity leave Actually, then? Um, that, it just had just begun. It was Nina Hennessy in Les Mis was the first woman to ever get a leave of absence, uh, you know, a legal, we had finally changed the rules, and uh, she was the first one. So that was just a couple years before. So yeah, it was a legal maternity leave. Oh, good. But I didn't end up going back because I got Grand Night for singing. So tell me, well, yes. quick question. That was when Phantom was like the biggest show yes. that there was. How was it being in, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber at his time, like when he was the, the shit, yeah. you know? Well, it was exciting, you know? It was, it was, I, I have to say that it was a little bit more exciting in Los Angeles because Michael Crawford was there and they hadn't seen it yet. Mm. Phantom um, was well into maybe it's, let's see, if I was there in 90, it opened in 88. So it really wasn't that old when I got there. Yeah. It's fascinating. But it felt like it was that it had been there because a lot of people had already left. Like, I think people had no idea at that time what this really was. You know mm, what I mean? Yes. It was another show, and it was good, but I mean, people left. Uh, a lot of people left the ensemble. Judy Kay had left, Michael Crawford had left, Sarah Brightman had left, you know, after six months, or yeah. whatever, yeah. you know? I didn't work with Nick Wyman. He was the original Fear Man, and I don't think even the, and Chris Gronendahl was the original Andre, and they, nobody was there. Oh, so wow. it's interesting. Yeah, because now people stay as long as they can. Yeah, because But you didn't you just know. go back to Phantom recently? I did. Well, my journey with Phantom is, is unique, I think. I was in the chorus, and I left, and I did other things, and I had babies. And then I came back nine years later to play Carlotta. And that was during 9-11, and that whole from 2000 to 2003. And then I left, and 13 years later, I went back and played Madame Giri. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I know. It's complete, two completely different roles. Uh-huh. Completely different vocal ranges, completely different everything. But they have been really good to me, and 
I appreciate and I appreciate them. Yeah. You know, Hal Prince still comes in. He still gives notes. He still is in charge of you know who's casting. He cares. Yeah. You know, and that's um, it's a rare thing. I that think. is a rare thing. It's a rare story. And I'm happy to be a part of it. I met my husband there. I have nothing but good things to say about the Phantom no, of the that, Opera. No, that is great. And I know when I saw it, I've seen it twice since I've been here. Both times, it was so on the mark. It was so clean. I and mean, I've seen shows in their second year of running, and it's already sloppy. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen that with Phantom. So. No. It's, and it's a beautiful piece of stagecraft. Mm-hmm. It really is. And if you look at the, the stage itself, it's a black box. And the magic that they create in that black box... Whether you like it or not, you have to appreciate what it is that they're able to maintain really beautifully yes. after almost 30 years. Yes. It's quite impressive. It is very impressive. Yeah. 30 years. Yeah. Wow. It, so, it will celebrate its 30th next January. That is crazy. Yeah. So with Grand Night for Singing, it's a show that not people, many people even know about or right. heard about. And it was, is it considered a flop? Well, I think, you know, it was part of Roundabout's season. So it was, you know, they do those things all the time. Roundabout and Lincoln Center, they'll do a limited run. And then if the audience demands it, they continue it. Or they move it to a different theater and continue it, which is what they did with 1776. They transferred it. Yes. Uh, Carousel at Lincoln Center, they didn't transfer it, but they extended the run. So that was my interpretation of it that we just ran our ran our run that's a good that interpretation yeah yes. and it was a review but it was beautiful with carousel that was right before i moved to new york and it was just the talk of yeah. the town everyone talks about that show and that was audra breaking into yeah. the scene yeah. So, I mean, what was what was that like and what did what did you do in in that show uh, well, it's an interesting story because i knew that i was perfect for that show you know, I just knew vocally that I was perfect for that show. I was in kind of an odd age, age range because I think I had just turned 30 and they were going very young and I thought maybe I was just too old for it. So I really wanted to do it and I had a baby and I was in Granite for singing but I, I, I remember going to Lincoln Center to the open call and the line was all the way down the stairs, all the way up and around the corner of the, of the round 65th Street. And I thought, you know, I had a baby with me. There's no way I could do it. I left my picture and resume, didn't hear anything. Finally, Wait, I... Wait, so you have two Broadway shows and you still have to go to open calls. I just... Yeah, I, I couldn't get in. Yeah. I couldn't get seen. Yeah. So finally, I figured out, I found out that Fred Hansen, who had been our PSM on Phantom, was assisting Nicholas Heitner. So I was like, that's it. I'll, so I, I emailed Fred and I said, could you please get me an audition? So he did, and I went in in my pretty little dress and everything, and I sang my song, and they're, thank you. That's it, didn't hear anything. I thought, okay, I didn't get it. Months later, after they were well into casting and almost close to production, I got a call from Ira Weitzman, who was the musical theater point person there, and he said they, he remembered that I had a nice voice. They said they don't have a netty understudy yet. So can you come back in, but don't wear that dress. <laughs> and it turns out that Nick Heitner, who was very um, kind of the anti-musical theater director, couldn't stand that all the girls in New York came in looking picture perfect. He wanted kind of gruff, working class yeah. people. Yeah. And so I went in in a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt tied around my waist, and I sang You'll Never Walk Alone. 
to the casting director, and I ended up getting it. Wow, that's all a great because song. I. I just, so from then on, I always research the director before I go in because you can kind of get a, a feel for what kind of work they do knowing what they've directed before. You know what I mean? Yes. You can kind of, and if they're, if they're coming from straight theater, which is what Nick Heitner did, they're not interested in the glossy package mm. that sometimes we present. Well, I think we're taught that, and I think that... Yes. And Happy, healthy, full of energy. That was what I was taught. Yeah. Go in there and have no problems. And that's not really what you want to see on the no. theater stage. No, it's definitely not. Especially in this the new world of musical Absolutely. theater. That, I mean, the all the new shows I'm seeing, it's grits. It's warts and all type stuff. You don't see any happy, healthy, perky, and happy. Right. But you still think that that's what you're supposed to do. I'm like, oh, I have to wear my favorite green shirt with the tie, and that's... It's so tricky. Auditions are so tricky. Because you want to present your best self. Yeah. But they want to see real people, mm. too. So. so how was 1776? Were you the standby for both women? Yes. For Linda Eamond and Lauren Ward. And Lauren Ward and I had worked together in Carousel. We were both in Carousel together. But that was quite a bit of a... That was a couple years in between Carousel, because I did the Carousel tour. I played Nettie on the Carousel tour. You played tour. Nettie on the tour. Yes. I left the Broadway production because I got pregnant with my second, <laughs> and then they closed. So, But then I was home all of that year taking care of the kids, and then um, they asked me to do Nettie on the national tour. And I said, I'd love to, but I can't without my husband. Can you hire my husband? And they did. He was the carpenter. So the whole family went on the road. Oh, that's so great. It did they cool. like it? Did you like that? Yeah, I mean, it was better than staying at home with two babies. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, well, this is a question that I wanted to ask you, because you are, you are a beautiful woman. Oh, thank you. And, uh, yes, you talked about getting older. But you also, with a role like Nettie, you are supposed to not be beautiful. And you're also at an age where you, you're really funny, so you're also considered a character woman. Right. But you've done stuff that you're a, a, leading, a leading lady. You can't put you in a box. No, and I've, I feel that's been hard, but it's also been one of the great things about my career. You know, I don't think that I am leading lady really in terms of it. I mean, it just depends on how they cast, but I'm not really a beautiful woman on stage. I'm, I might be striking or I might be severe. I don't know, but I'm not. You're very regal too. Yes. Yes. I have, I have, yes, that, and I think that that's all of my kind of classical training, but I've never considered myself, I've never been an ingenue. I no, was Aunt Eller in high school. There's no way. And my <laughs> voice is just mature. I sounded yeah. 30 when I was, you know, 20. It's been tricky, you know. I, I know sometimes if they're looking for a Linda Balgord, then I'm probably not going to get it because mm. she's so a certain type. Or if they're looking for a Mrs. Potts, I'm never going to play Mrs. Potts because I don't have that kind of cherubic face. Yeah. You know what I mean? So even though I'm older... I don't fit into some of those character women molds. I also find that I can kind of, you know, play chameleon with my voice a little bit. And, you know, mother is kind of a belty part. And then I played Carlotta. I just kind of focus my voice towards whatever way I need to focus it. Yeah. You know? So that's been fun. Oh, well, that's great. How have you dealt with being a woman in body image and figuring out... I mean, and having children and getting back into shape. It's really hard. It's really hard. I mean, I was really, when I was nursing my kids, I was huge. And you think, I'm never going to work again. And I'm not, I'm no longer young. And I'm no longer, you know, it's it's hard. But that I'm not big enough to be a heavy character woman either. Right. So I kind of fall into this 
crack. And it's hard. Yeah, I, I just did American in Paris. I mean, my God, you're with ballet dancers, yeah. you know, and I'm not that. But luckily with age also comes some wisdom and, you know, I kind of, I don't care that much anymore you know you yeah. try and stay in shape and I did Mark Fisher Fitness plug you did Mark so Fisher did I Fitness. yes yes which was fabulous oh you was, know absolutely just, just helps keep you in shape the positivity that goes along with it yes and they're so wonderful they really are I am what I am you know? yes no exactly and it's just it's it's hard too because my body doesn't want to do what it used to do absolutely eight shows a week gets hard yes it really does I mean it starts to be you you really understand that this is a business for for young people, mm-hmm. because the stamina that it takes is intense. It's intense. It's intense. Uh, and it's also a very male-driven business. And just to even just say 1776, I mean, that's all it says. It's the best book musical of all time, but it's I all... I love that musical. I do, too, actually. Love it. Did you like being a standby? That was tricky because I don't think I ever even went on. I only did it on the roundabout when they were at the Criterion. Do you remember the Criterion? That, I think that's it's where, where Toys R Us is now. Yes, that's where I saw it. Yes, yes. Yes, I, never I knew went it was on. there somewhere. I was like, where did it go? Where did it go? Yes. And it was roundabout, so they didn't actually, you know, it wasn't full production contract either. Mm. So, and I had two babies, and I remember sometimes just coming in and checking in to see if the women were there. Mm. I had to physically show up every day, but then... She let me go home. The stage manager let me go home because it wasn't financially feasible to pay a babysitter for, you know, X amount of hours. But they would never have done that on the real Broadway contract. I would have had to have stayed. Right. Which is what they, and they ended up moving. And Carolee Carmelo, I think, did Abigail Adams. Oh. But it was a beautiful production. You know, standing by, is, it's tricky. It's different. I just stood by uh, for Victoria Clark in Canada and you you don't you don't get the light on you every night you don't have the kind of the support of the cast around you all the time so when you do go on it's kind of terrifying Mm -hmm. have you had to deal with men and sexism and feeling that they treat women differently um because you don't seem like a fainting flower or daisy to me you 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 feel like you stand up for yourself right yes uh i would say that i don't feel that i've necessarily felt it in the workplace per se like in the rehearsal room Mm. or from other cast members where i think sexism happens or has happened for me is in how much you get paid Mm. is in maybe your negotiating power and is in being a mother oh you know that that is a difficult thing because if you're as a casting person if you have a choice between a woman who's just had a child and a woman who hasn't (laughs) (laughs) you know there's a lot that go that goes along with being a mother and we we, at the beginning of my career i saw women who who tried to just pretend like it wasn't there and who pretended like you know this child is not gonna affect my work at all and and the reality is is that you can still be a, a complete professional but flexibility is also important, yeah. you know? And yeah, I might have to call in sick if my child's sick. You know what I mean? Yes. There are certain things that you can't actually say publicly, but my kid's my first priority, always. Sorry about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know your show is your priority, and I get that, but there are times when, as a parent, I've, you know, I did two shows on the day that my mother died. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I, I can do it. Yeah. I know how to do it. Yeah. But is it the best thing to do? No. Because the show doesn't love you back. No, it doesn't <laughs> love you back. You know? Yeah. 
It was I was interesting that I covered Norbert Leo Butts once, and first day of rehearsal, he came up to me and said, are you my understudy? I was like, yep. He's like, I have two kids. They're my priority, so learn it. Learn what I have to do, because if, if they need me, I'm out of here. That's right. And, and, you know, no producer wants to hear that, but that's the reality. Yeah, and he was cool about it, and, of course, he never missed and got his first Tony nomination. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's funny. But, see, coming from him, like, that's like, oh, that's, of course, that's a source of strength. If a woman says it. It's weakness. It's weakness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of thing that we have to kind of dance around all the time. Or, or oh, I have to go nurse my child now. Is that a weakness? No, it's not a weakness. No. It's you're taking care of your child and your boobs are leaking. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I do. Speaking of which, I have a good story about that. Oh, I love this. <laughs> you will need a visual. I was auditioning for Sideshow with Linda Balgord. This was the, the original Sideshow. We went to Henry Krieger's apartment, and I had just had a baby. And we started to sing. <laughs> My milk let down. <laughs> I will never leave you. Circles. I will never go away. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. I walked out of there like, oh, God. Oh, did he say anything? Did anyone? No. I was mortified. Oh. Well, my favorite all-time show, whenever people ask that, is Ragtime. I saw it in L.A., and then I saw it in New York. I remember being in my first de major depression from the Tonys when it lost. So you played Mother, which is, you can never go back to before, is one of those songs I listen to, like, when I, I'm forcing myself to make a change. Mm -hmm. And you played Mother, and you sang that song every night. How was that experience? It's one of the best experiences of my life, really. Because I, my children were... Three and five, I think. And, you know, I was in the throes of motherhood. And, you know, you don't know if, if anything like this is going to happen for you. And I got that part on the national tour. And it was the combination of wonderful people to work with, a wonderful cast that you loved, the part that you adored, a perfect vocal buildup to your 11 o'clock number, great money. You know, all of the things mm. that you want in this business came together for me in that show. And it was one of the best years of my life. It really was. Oh, that's was, amazing. It was also the year that that whole thing kind of crashed and the tour continued. They stayed out for, I think, two more years after I left. But, you know, my kids were starting school and it was a decision that I had to make that I couldn't really be on the road. I couldn't leave my husband with the kids at home. You know what I yes. mean? He didn't go on that tour with me. Then I came home and I hoped that they would ask me to do the Broadway Oh, yes. I think Marin finally left, and she was replaced by the, the woman who did it in L.A. I can't remember her name now. Or maybe it was Chicago. It was a Chicago company, an L.A. company. And I hoped, I hoped, I hoped. And then I remember they called me and asked me to come in to understudy. And I was like, oh, I just can't. I just can't do that. I yeah. couldn't understudy that part. No. Even as much as it meant to me, I couldn't. So... You know, and that's when you're, when you're wondering, is my career going to go off into leading lady now? Is that going to happen for me? Or am I going to keep being the understudy? And I thought if I said no, that might change the trajectory. Well, question though, how did you ever go back into the ensemble after playing Mother? I know, it's not easy. Uh, I, ju I just think that Broadway, you have to kind of steal yourself and know that it has nothing to do with your talent. It has nothing to do with it. They're hiring stars. They're hiring television stars. Mm -hmm. They're hiring, you know, or there are people who have been groomed to, or who just end up being stars. Kristen Chenoweth always was that. Audrey McDonald always was that. I mean, we, we used to laugh, and you're clearly put on this planet to win Tonys. I mean, that's just, that's just her, her trajectory. Yeah. You can't beat yourself up about it. There's pride in 
being in the ensemble on Broadway. Exactly. Everybody, when you think about being in a musical, that's your goal. That's your, and I love this community so much. And there are some of us who have been around for years and years and years who it's like, that's that's a source of pride for me. You mm-hmm. know what? I'm still doing it. I'm still kicking. You know, when we see each other on the street, it's like, you go. Good for you. you know, I it doesn't agree. matter. It doesn't matter what now. You know, at that time, I think I was still thinking that your career goes like a stepping ladder. And it doesn't. Mm-mm. It just doesn't. And your career doesn't, isn't who you are. Exactly. But that's hard to... That's hard. But for me, having a family really helped balance that. Mm. Like, just sitting at home and being mommy wasn't enough. But also, being a performer wasn't enough. The fact that I could blend the two has been really the blessing of my life and to be able to you know there were years that I didn't work on Broadway but I was going with my husband who opened Lion King in Hamburg and Mary Poppins we had to go and do a research trip so we traveled all over the world with him Mm. you know what did your kids just love theater they did they still do neither one of them are really doing it Actually, my, my son does sometimes work with my husband over at Aladdin. They're not interested in it as a living, but they love it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And you love yeah. being a mom. You would tell yeah. some mom stories that, you know I mean, I cannot record that were just <laughs> hysterical. Like, I would you be like, because you just have a joy about your kids. I do. And, you know, I'm not a traditional mom. They don't have a traditional life, or they didn't, you know. And we ask them now, I mean, they're 24 and 22, did you feel like we were gone all the time? Because my husband was literally gone every night. Mm. That's just, he's a stagehand. Yeah. He went from a fan of the opera where I met him to the carousel tour where he met the person who gave him Lion King. So he's been at the New Amsterdam Theater since then. Lion King, Mary Poppins, and now Aladdin. He's gone every night. And I asked them, did it, did it feel like we were gone all the time? And I said, no. Because <laughs> they just, you know, we would be up late. Yeah. And we're home during the day. We traveled together. We, I mean, I'm a little like Auntie Mae. I'm a little uh, non-traditional. But, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Yes. So with the frogs, you came back to Lincoln Center. Yes. And I saw the frogs because I'm a huge Stroman fan. I still don't know if I understood it, but I liked that it was like something different. There was no like girls in little dresses. There were people hanging from the ceiling and smoke frogs and frogs. bouncing and, and Greek choruses and yeah. Yeah, was it fun it's to weird. do something that was very non-traditional but still, what's well, Lincoln Center, but still somewhat mainstream? Oh, totally. It was, and that was an interesting show because there was the version that they, that they had done at Yale and other regional theaters with the swimming pool and it, it was a piece that they had already done but now Nathan Lane was writing new dialogue Sondheim was tweaking the lyrics and Susan was directing and choreographing so there were three very strong personalities mm. and it was a story an anti-war story really at the beginning of the Iraqi war and it it was not popular people didn't want to hear that sentiment yet mm. because it was after 9-11 we had gone to war and I don't think it was quite the time for that musical. And that's often the case. When I did Dessa Rose, we had, we had done a reading one year, then the next year we did a workshop, and then the next year was when they wanted to do it. But Donna Murphy, I think, was not available. Mm. So they skipped a year, and then they finally went ahead and did it, but it was the same year that Light in the Piazza came out. And I feel we just kind of got lost in that season. Yeah. You know, we just kind of weren't noticed and and that was too bad just like when you go and see a show it hits you in a certain way at a certain time in your life when you may need to hear that yes exactly I think that's 
that's what happens. Something like this, Rose. You pour your heart and soul into something, mm, and it's so hard. It's like a breakup. I mean, how how do you deal with that type of rejection, whether it's in the audition room or whether it's on stage with a, a show not succeeding? It's not easy, and I gotta say, there are dark days, and they're you know, what we call the post-show blues, and you've built this thing with this family and then all of a sudden it's gone and you don't really have the family you don't have the day-to-day interaction you don't have the routine you don't have the support and then nothing happens and you think why did I go through all that you know of course I really felt for Lynn and Steven it was a huge disappointment but of course they God love them, bounce back, and now they have Anastasia, you know, they had Rocky. I mean, they don't, they're not used to it either, I'm sure, but they, they take you keep, some hits. They take some hits, but you keep going. It's, it's what we do, you know? Yeah, which, what, what we've got to do. I got to see you in Evita, and Evita didn't get well received as well as it should have been, because a lot of people thought, oh, it's a Ricky Martin concert. Right. And I remember seeing you backstage, and you didn't say anything, but you could tell that you were like, I- I'm waiting for the reaction of that. Oh, I was disappointed. And my friend said to you, I like the sets. And he, <laughs> and he actually meant that, but like, you don't say to someone after a show, I like, I like the sets. I mean, that was a weird show because it was a Ricky Martin vehicle as opposed to being the story of Ava Perone. Well, actually, it wasn't supposed to be that. It was supposed to be, because they had done it in London. It got great critical acclaim in London, as did uh, Elena. She won the Olivier, and it was what had happened was Michael Grandage and Andrew Lloyd Webber really went back to Argentina, because Andrew Lloyd Webber had never even been to Argentina when he wrote Evita. Really? Like, he really wasn't familiar with. So I remember Michael telling us that the sub- certain things have happened since it was a Broadway show. A, the movie. Mm-hmm. which, you know, gave us a whole different look at it and put Che into the everyman scenario, which is how we did it, as opposed to the revolutionary, mm. which is how it was portrayed when Mandy Patinkin did it. And then they actually went to Argentina and, and Andrew reorchestrated it and really brought in some real kind of authentic sounds. So it had, had critical acclaim in London, and then it didn't come in right away. I think there was a year or something. In the meantime, Elena went off and did Piaf. So by the time it came to Broadway, they think that they needed, they decided that they needed to have, you know, some box office Mm. boom because they were taking a risk by not hiring a star as Evita because no one here knew who Elena Roger was. So that's why Ricky Martin came in. And, of course, that's what it ended up becoming. Is more and of he, a was great, though, he was great, though. He was totally great. great. You had several features in the show. I mean, you were one of her sisters or... The mother. Oh, you were the I play mother. everyone's mother, darling. play everyone's mother. <laughs> but it was one of the first times I really saw what lighting has to do with people in the ensemble. Because I knew other people in the ensemble, and they were in the dark. And that was what was heartbreaking, is I knowing... I, I, saw, I felt that way a little bit in Wicked, but then I saw Wicked again recently, and for some reason it seemed brighter. But in Evita, you, you could, it was babies, everyone was in silhouettes. It's so funny because we didn't know that. And you're up there in the very requiem, you know, and we're crying and we're going through all of this hard, you know, all this hardship and, and, and memories. And, and then we, when we were swung out, we were like, oh, wow. Yeah. You can't even see us. Yeah. You're going to see a tear if you, you know. So, yeah, that was hard to to recognize but that was really such a fantastic company 
oh my god we all and we're still all very close that was one of the one of the best families and Ricky was tremendous to us Elena was wonderful it was just such a loving and Michael Grandage gave some of the best advice that I've ever heard a director give it was right before we opened and I think they had a sense that we weren't going to get great reviews oh I think you know when this when the Sunday Times comes out on Sunday but it's actually released on Wednesday so you get an idea on Tuesday what it's going to be oh yes that's how it used to be anyway. And I think he knew. And so he sat us all down and he said, I want to tell you something. There are two people sitting next to each other in the audience. One person is going to be having their lives changed by your performance. The other person is going to be losing his will to live. And he will be the louder. You know, the person who doesn't like it, who wants to make sure that everybody knows that he doesn't like it, is the loud one. Yeah. But the person who walked away completely moved and completely changed just kind of you know so you always have to play to that person to that person you're right you know yes and it was really good for us to hear and I still think of that you know well, yeah well I think it's interesting because when I saw American in Paris a lot of the ensemble members I talked to in that show felt it the same way that they were in the dark and they were very like in the background which as an audience member I did if you compare the two I did not see that being that way when I saw American in Paris. They definitely represented the ensemble, but they were lit much better than Evita than was. So you actually saw that, and you and it, the show was about the dancing. Yeah. And I, I liked the show. How do you deal when the show, the backstage environment, seems to be negative and unhappy? Do you walk in and walk out? Do you get caught up? And we don't even have to talk about that show, but in shows in general, sometimes there's negativity and animosity. Yeah. How do you leave that at the door for yourself? Well, I would say, in general, the what comes with age is wisdom, and you understand that it's twofold. Again, I just experienced this. You have to put on your best face possible, and you have to give the work its honor, and you have to do the best job that you can with the material that you are given, because mm. that is your job, and you have to be positive about it. You can't say, oh, I hate what I'm doing mm -hmm. every night, and still... You know, you have to figure out a way to do it. You have to figure out a way to put a positive spin on it. I'm also finding that the older I get, the more I can be of an example, be an example to the younger people that I work with. And of course, you know, George Lee Andrews is, is someone that I respect so much, and he's exactly like that, and Timmy Hsu, and people that I've worked with before who, they set an example of professionalism. You come in and you do your job, and you try not to of course you're going to go out and, and, and talk about, you know, the problems that you're having at a beer, you know, after yeah. the show. Of course that's going to happen. But you have to do your best to not let it affect the morale of the company. Yes. You know? And specifically in American Paris, it was not that it was an unhappy company. What we felt and uh, what everyone at that time felt, including Hamilton, including Bridgets of Madison County, we all got together with equity. And what had happened was we all came from labs oh. and not workshops. And you kind of feel like you're creating this with all the other creators. You have creative people, the lighting designer and the choreographer and the director and the, the orchestrator and the, everybody else gets a piece of that pie and the actors don't. And they might say, well, you get eight shows a week. No, 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 no. We work for that eight shows a week. Yes. 
but the creative pie, and I remember Mark Kudish saying that very eloquently at this meeting, that we also are part of that process, and they've been able to circumvent the workshop contract very effectively. So that's where our initial kind of it just it just felt like we were doing a lot of set moves and we were doing things that weren't really compensated and so and we worked it out and Hamilton certainly worked it out they yes. ended up suing and <laughs> yeah you know there was just a lot of that kind of thing going on but well, it's we were when, a pretty happy company when actually. you feel underappreciated exactly and that's I mean that would make anyone happy in your in any life I mean I think this half this country feels underappreciated right now it's just sure of course it's gonna ups- upset you. No, so that makes that makes complete sense. Yeah, but we knew we were telling a beautiful story, and the tour's going very well now. They have a national tour out, and they just opened a company in London, which Robbie Fairchild and Leanne Cope are both in. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, when I watched that show, I was like, my body couldn't... I don't think it could have done that in its prime, let alone now. Well, and I keep doing dancer shows, <laughs> and I don't get it. I don't know how this happens. You know what my secret is? I don't go to the dance call. Oh. I didn't go to a dance call for Evita. I didn't go to a dance call for American in Paris. I don't know how it happens. And how are you at dancing and moving? I mean, are you... I'm not very good. You're not? <laughs> no, I mean, I can move. I wish my... my honestly, my, my biggest regret is that I didn't stay in dance class. Because... Mm. And each time I get a dance show, like I did Cats. I was like, <laughs> oh, what am I doing? I should have started then. Like, that's my advice stay in dance class because even if I had started after Evita when I was doing Rob Ashford crowd yeah I still might have been prepared for an American in Paris but nope, nope. I didn't nope and there I was hi does it take you longer to learn the stuff well yes I just did a lab of little dancer oh for news and Susan Stroman oh I've been she one- had me dance the ballet <gasps> it's not good there I am at my age, back there, but... How is that piece? I'm so it's excited. It's beautiful. Oh. Really beautiful. Yeah. And they had done it at the Kennedy Center, and then went back into a lab, and I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to it now, but I should, I should have been in dance class for the last 30 years. Yes. And I haven't been. So I would not call myself a dancer in any way, shape, or form, especially with the ballet dancers in American Paris. Oh, I mean, yeah. I have club... I'm just... I'm terrible. Oh. But they're so kind to me. <laughs> <laughs> As the little old lady who yeah, doesn't dance. has a beautiful voice. And then, yes, exactly. And they, you know, most of the directors know that she's not, she's not the girl we're going to put in downstage center. <laughs> Although in Carousel they did. Uh, they started out, I remember, I was Brian, Darcy, James, and myself were dance partners downstage center. Really? In the rehearsal room. And then they were like, no. <laughs> so what was this big show that you did in Toronto? You were Madame, your, your third Madame. My third Madame. I did Madame Burrell, I did Madame Giri in the last two years, and then Madame Susatska. It is the story of Madame Susatska, who is a piano teacher, and she comes across this protege who is from South Africa, and that's where the story veers from what the movie is versus what the play is. Craig Lucas wrote the book. The music was Maltby and Shire and choreography by Graciela Danielle and directed by Adrian Noble. Oh. And we were up there for four months trying to, you know, carve out what this story is. And there's some really, really beautiful, beautiful things in it. I don't know what the future is going to be of it. I know they want to bring it to Broadway. So we just have to see if they can. They still still need some work on it. Mm. That's 
usually the traditional thing, you kind of go then to the next step of taking it to a regional theater or something and working out more kinks. But it was fantastic to do. And I actually got to go on for Victoria about six times. Oh, you did? I saw yeah. your pictures of your put-in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that was that amazing? Yeah, it was great. I mean, the role of Madame Zusatska is fantastic. It's like an opera. I mean, she's, she's singing. So that gives me great joy because, you know, there are times where I'm not really challenged, mm. you know, vocally. Yeah. I think sometimes, and that's when I know that I love a piece of new theater, when the music is sophisticated. When the music is as sophisticated as the subject matter, I'm happy. That's but oftentimes it's not. Mm, that's very true. So were you in the ensemble and the understudy or just a standby? I was just the standby, although I did end up filling in for a woman who unfortunately got into a car accident and they needed someone to sing a certain bit at the end of Act One. So I did do that, and I was, you know, happy to help out because it was a an awful thing that happened to her so uh, I was in that until opening night and then someone else came in and and they took over and then I was just the standby oh okay you know which is like I said it has its pros and its cons it's it's difficult to not be in performance mode every day and not even just feel part of it yeah 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 exactly you know you just feel very isolated yeah I didn't feel completely integrated but you know they were it was a great company there were 47 of us Huge company. Wow. And was it, is that Garth Drippinski? Uh-huh. So he's he's back. Back. Back I, and producing. So you just did a 29-hour reading of mm-hmm. a new old show. Right. It was based on Pamela's first musical, which is a book by Wendy Wasserstein, a children's book. And she re- wrote that, I think, maybe 15 years ago. And Cy Coleman wrote the music. And, of course, both of them are deceased now. But for some reason, they wanted to bring it back and see what it's about. And it's very cute. Very cute. A star-studded cast. It was just great to be in the room. You know, I'm just happy to be in the room anymore. It's like, yes, call me. That's how I feel, too, when you get to be part of the creative process. Where are you in your career that you feel like you can bring stuff to the table and be like, hey, excuse me, Stro or Graziella, I have this idea. I just feel like... You know, when you've done this for as long as we have, like, I know the form of musical theater, and you have to keep it changing. You have to keep it moving. And I I see so much theater. Like, I'm not just somebody who who just does it. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I've been home since April 10th, and I've seen 15 shows since I've been home. And when you see something that's, like, I, I thought Groundhog Day was great in that it took the form, but it tweaked it. It took the form of what we are used to, but it kind of spun it in a different way. And that's what we need. It's like Spring Awakening did that. Mm -hmm. And the music needs to keep changing. Evan Hansen's doing it, you know? So that for me is thrilling. And to be, you know, a part of of, to be in the room is, it's what you want. Oh, absolutely. What you live for, you know? If you could pick one or two moments from your, your long, wonderful career, what, do, you, do you have like a career highlight or something that stands out? I can say that I was probably most proud of myself when I got the role of mother in Ragtime. You know, I remember that feeling. I remember saying, wow, you really did it. You worked hard and it paid off. I was proud of myself when I stood on the stage and sang We Are Descended from a long, strong line of women the day that my mom died in mm. Desarose. Um, I probably had the best time with a cast on, on the Tony Awards, you know, with Evita. Carousel was a huge, although I don't, I think it was probably too young to really appreciate what Carousel was at that time. 
you know, I didn't yeah. realize quite how groundbreaking it was and how many how many people would go on to be yeah. Audra and Tay Diggs and Brian Darcy James. I mean, it was a, a great cast. Well, <laughs> one of the ways I found out a lot of with stuff that you're going on is through Facebook and Instagram. Uh-huh. We're both uh, elder statement, statesmen. Right. How do you feel like having that media presence and trying to keep up with the Joneses is important? I mean, obviously, I knew what was going on with you because of it. It's mm-hmm. just an interesting tool do you use it for fun or do you for both I know some people only use it for business some people only use it for personal I am political on Facebook and Instagram I am I talk about my life I I don't have it doesn't bother me you know I talk about the shows that I've seen I try to be positive you know and there's a double-edged sword because then people think that you're only showing the rosy side of life but what's the point of being negative about a show mm-hmm. you know what i mean that it doesn't serve anyone no. really we all know we all talk we all know you know yeah. box office speaks for you know there are certain things that don't need to be reiterated and i also i kind of feel a little bit like a bit of an ambassador since since evita and i've had you know was raising children and now my kids are grown that i like to show my girls, that I, I call them, and I've had daughters in all of these shows that I've done since Evita, that you can blend this life of being a mother, being a wife, and being a performer. It's possible. It's not easy, but it is possible. So I don't really look at myself in just one way or show myself on social media in one certain way it's just this is my whole life and it's all bunched together and I'm a disaster and I'm sometimes funny and sometimes sad you know I mean it's it's just like life I love Facebook because I love I love keeping in touch with people Mm -hmm. and I always have I used to write letters tons of letters to my friends I still write postcards Yeah, yeah yeah so I know some people think it's too much some people don't understand why you would like it but I do yeah, no, I think it's, it's I, I like it for many reasons, but now when people are like, you have to get more followers and more likes, I'm like, oh, oh I can't Oh, the whole take... followers thing. Yeah, I don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. Don't... That's, yeah, that is definitely the younger generation. They, I don't, they, yeah. they've gotten it together and they, and, and they're getting parts because they have so many likes that That's, I don't get. I don't either. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun. You're, you're such a joy. Oh, thank you. If I, if you had a song from, from your life uh, or your career that you would want played out at the end of this episode, what would it be? Well, I think we'd have to go with children and art wouldn't we? Yes. That's perfect. That's what it's all about. Yeah. It's not one or the other. They're equally important. And that's all I want is just to enjoy art and family. Well, thank you very much. And go enjoy your husband. (laughs) Thank you. You would have liked him. Mama, you would. Mama, he makes things. Mama, they're good Just as you said from the start Children and art Children and art He should be happy Mama, he's blue What do I do? should have seen it It was a sight Mama, I mean it All color and light I don't understand what it was 
But mama, the things that he does, they twinkle and shimmer and buzz. You would have liked them. George, Grandmother. Of course it is. I thought you were your father for a moment. Did I tell you who that was? Of course. That is your mother. Isn't she beautiful? There she is, there she is, there she is, there she is. Mama is everywhere. He must have loved her so much. Is she really in all those places, Marie? This is our family, this is the lot. After I go, this is all that you've got, honey. Wasn't she beautiful, though? You would have liked her. Mama did things no one had done. funny mama was fun mama spent money when she had none mama said honey mustn't be blue it's not so much do what you like as it is that you like what you do mama said darling don't make such a drama a little less thinking, a little more feeling. I'm just quoting Mama. The child is so sweet, and the girls are so rapturous. Isn't it lovely how artists can capture us? Yes, it is, Mama. You would have liked her. Honey, I'm wrong. You would have loved her. Mama enjoyed things. Mama was smart. See how she shimmers. I mean from the heart. I know, honey, you don't agree. But this is our family tree. Just wait till we're there and you'll see Listen to me Mama was smart Listen to Mama Children and art Children and art Goodbye, Mama. <laughs>